Hey, welcome. Welcome into the Teal Shirt Report podcast, episode show number eight, season number five. And what's on my mind is probably what's on a lot of people's mind. Uh, as he's known, Freddie T, Freddie Taylor, Fred Taylor, former Jacksonville Jaguars running back, sadly did not get into the Hall of Fame. He was a finalist. Tony Baselli was a finalist, I believe, a couple of times before he got in. The process with the Hall of Fame is kind of slow. I've got, to, I've got to really, as much as I really don't want to do it, I'm going to have to take a look at who got in in this year in 2024. You know, Tony Baselli got in for the Jaguars with the Hall of Fame class, I believe it was 2022 but he should have got in about two years earlier than he did. If he had of this thing would have been further along for the Jaguars and perhaps Fred, Fred Taylor gets in quicker. Just me thinking out loud here. You're listening to the Teal Shirt Report podcast. We're brought to you by Saucer Realty and Capital for your real estate needs uh, here in uh, North Florida, whether it's home, residential, business, or commercial real estate. That's right, whether it's home residential, business, or commercial real estate. Remember, Saucer Realty and Capital. Larry does an outstanding job on your real estate needs. Plus, you know, he can do your property appraising too. Find out how much that property you're trying to sell is actually worth with a true and very accurate and close property appraisal. I guess in the long run, it's what your property's worth is probably what someone would pay for it, right? But as far as getting a very close, very close and to the nose property appraisal, you can also contact Larry Saucer at Saucer Realty and Capital for Saucer Valuations. Saucer Realty and Capital on our homepage at bigjreport.com. Check our weather information, our 24-7 North Florida weather information on our homepage at BigJReport.com. Scroll the homepage. You'll find the link for Saucer Realty and Capital right there in our 24-7 North Florida weather information uh, for the area, for North Florida and surrounding areas. Uh, we're also brought to you by the Mad Max Mix. Mad Max Mix. Dot Weebly.com. Mad Max, a link to his show is on our website in the outside the box section where you can read an article about Mad Max, the type of music he plays. You can call and request. He gives you the phone number. Max does give you the phone number at the very conclusion. Or I should say, let me let me let me restate that. When the show comes on, Max will give you his phone number to text him or or call him once the show comes on on Wednesday evenings, the themadmaxmix.weebly.com. You can catch a show each Wednesday evening, the Internet Radio, Wednesday night, music request show from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock Central Time. That's 7 o'clock until 9 o'clock Eastern Time, themadmaxmix.weebly.com. And by the way, we do have... Links to Max's show in the Neighbors 2 section near our concert area in the Neighbors 2 section at BigJReport.com. 
And you can also go to the Outside the Box section for a link to Max's Wednesday night show, plus an article about Mad Max and certainly about his show and some of the type of music he plays on the show. It's basically classic rock request, music, pop classics as well. Check out the Mad Max Mix, madmaxmix.weebly.com. And there's links to the show on our website at bigjreport.com in the Neighbors 2 area and also in the outside the box section as well. You're tuned in to the Teal Shirt Report Podcast. Thank you for listening to episode show number eight. Well, I I got a list. I, I did get a list of the players that are getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and they include Devin Hester. Right off the bat, you got a kickoff returner that's making the Hall of Fame ahead of Fred Taylor. Now, looking at Devin Hester, he had a lot of kickoff returns for touchdowns. In fact, much more than a lot of people. And I've always thought that Devin Hester – has a place in the Hall of Fame, but ahead of Fred Taylor, that's where the arguments start. You know, Fred didn't get in this year. Devin Hester played most of his years with the Chicago Bears, big market city in Chicago. Could that play a part? Certainly. But, you know, he had some big touchdown runs for big kickoff returns for touchdowns. I'll have to look up that stat. He had a lot of kickoff returns for touchdowns, and now he's, actually getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Hey, we're also brought to you by, and we'll take a look at the entire list as well, but we are brought to you by Lake Eufaula Hits. LakeEufaulaHits.com, great internet radio where it's all good. You just type in www.lake, L-A-K-E-E-U-F-A-U-L-A, Hits.com. LakeUfallHits.com, great internet radio, where it's all good. Man, they've got recognizable hits, identifiable songs early in the morning, Monday morning, Monday through Friday from morning to afternoon. They have Rock Saturday, uh, 6 a.m. to midnight. They have Midnight Rock as well. And I will tell you, Man, they got Midnight Rock seven days a week now, midnight to 6 a.m. And don't forget about J.C.'s show he does now. J.C. does a show from the pub. Have you heard? Have you heard J.C. on Thursday nights? Have you heard Thursday nights live with J.C., 6 o'clock p.m. Central Time. That's 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. LakeUfallahits.com. Great music plus great request. And it's all good. JC started his show, and he's been doing it. I think I think JC's been doing the show for almost a month now. For the last three or four weeks, listeners are picking up some. So check JC out for his live show. But you, you can listen to LakeUfallHits.com. Great internet radio 24-7, seven days a week. So if you've been listening to or you've been looking for a great internet radio station. Check them out. LakeUfallahits.com. Great internet radio where it's all good. 
and the Thursday night live show, which starts at six o'clock central time. That's seven o'clock Eastern time. We'll feature JC playing a lot of requests. He'll be giving you his songs. He likes too, and taking your request as well. And he'll let you know how you can contact him. I know there's a chat area where you can send your request to as well. And he does the show from the pub. JC's got that big bottle cap, that big bottle cap Buffalo Bills um, trinket. I'll call it a trinket or a souvenir on the wall. Great memorabilia. Buffalo Bills, big bottle cap. He's a Buffalo Bills fan. He's also a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. I think the Jaguars probably his second team in the AFC. He's got the big jaws. Uh, did I notice this earlier when I was looking at the pub? He's got the Jaws uh, picture up, uh, Buffalo Bills picture, Tampa Bay Buccaneers mini helmet there. Man, I could swear I see a Def, is that a Def Leppard poster in the background? Check JC's show out from the pub. He's got his laptop set up, his, his microphone, his desktop. The computer's all set up for the show. And check him out. Have you heard? Thursday nights live with JC, 6 o'clock p.m. Central Time, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time at LakeUfallahits.com. Great music plus great request. Hey, it's all good. Well, the guys that made it into the Hall of Fame, and it was a pretty good list of players. You know, these are not run-of-the-mill players. There's always a debate on who should be in and who shouldn't. Fred Taylor, the former Jacksonville Jaguars running back who has great stats for a lot of years and a very good carry per average as well. And we'll get into some of Freddie Taylor's stats. We'll take a look at him. I've had arguments with, with folks over social media. Some people say Fred Taylor should not get in while I know he should. We try to make sense out of it all here on the Teal Shirt Report podcast. The main five guys that got in include Dwight Franey, really good pass rusher, Devin Hester, outstanding kickoff returner. And I really did think Devin should get in at some point in time or another, but I don't believe he should have got in ahead of, Fred, ahead of Fred Taylor being mainly, you know, predominantly a kickoff returner. He did play some some wide receiver, but not a lot of it. Uh, he did go in and play wide receiver off and on, but he was predominantly a kickoff returner, though he did return a lot of kicks for touchdowns. Andre Johnson had a long career and was probably the first big-time player of the Houston Texans, and he had a lengthy career. And, yes, I would say he's very deserving of getting in, Andre Johnson. Julius Peppers, a pass rusher, getting in. And Patrick Willis, who I'd have to check his years that he played in the league, but I believe he retired early, but he stamped a pretty good impact on his game. Played primarily, I believe, with the San Francisco 49ers. He's getting into the Hall of Fame. Fred Taylor did not get in. This time around, he was a finalist. Um, He was a semi-finalist the previous year, but he was a finalist this year. That means Freddie, Fred Taylor is inching closer to the Hall of Fame. But 
not this year. And I don't agree with the decision. I didn't agree with the decision when, and we got to kind of look out for our players, Jacksonville Jaguars players here on the Teal Shirt Report podcast. And we got to tell it like it is. Tony Baselli should have got in two years earlier than he did, right? That's my opinion. Um, he got in the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame class just a couple of years ago in 2022. If he gets in a couple of years earlier, does that accelerate Fred Taylor possibly getting in? Most people on the Hall of Fame committee or however they vote would say no. And they probably should say no. However, in my opinion, my humble opinion, Tony Baselli should have got in two years earlier than he did. And Fred Taylor should now be getting in, but he's not getting in this year. We gave you the list of the main names, the five guys, I believe it was five guys that are getting in uh, to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We congratulate the guys getting into the Hall of Fame. All good players, Dwight Freeney, Devin Hester, the kickoff returner who scored a lot of touchdown touchdowns uh, You know when he was playing. Andre Johnson, a lot of years, a lot of catches. He was a primary target for the Houston Texans very early in their franchise history. Julius Peppers getting in, great pass rusher. Uh, Patrick Willis, very good defensive player, primarily played for the San Francisco 49ers, I believe, and and kind of had a shorter career maybe than he could have. Um, but he did, again, he did really stamp when you talk about Patrick Willis, you're talking about a very, very good to great football player. And all I don't have a problem with any of these guys getting in. I just think Fred should have got in this year. That's my opinion. But those are the players that are getting into the class of 2024 for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Fred should, Fred should be getting in this year, right? Um, Tom Coughlin should get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and even down the road, Jimmy Smith. And again, if Fred gets in this year, that might accelerate things for possibly Tom Coughlin and and Jimmy Smith down, down the road too. Jimmy Smith, the wide receiver for the Jaguars, I mean, he played a long time. He played a lot of games for the Jacksonville Jaguars and has terrific and standout numbers. Fred Taylor and Jimmy Smith are a couple of former Jacksonville Jaguars football players that got a chance to get in, especially right now, Fred Taylor, because he was a finalist this year in the quest to become a Pro Football Hall of Famer in 2024. It just did not happen for Fred Taylor here in 2024. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl, Super Bowl being played. San Francisco 49ers went into the game of two-point favorite over Kansas City and Las Vegas. We'll talk about the Super Bowl coming up. Trying to make sense out of it all as a teal shirt report podcast continues. Thank you for listening. Hey, let me tell you, the podcast world keeps changing. I get new notes from Anchor, which is actually now Spotify and Things are changing. We're going to be here. The Teal Shirt Report podcast. The Teal Shirt Report podcast will be here in some 
form, shape, or fashion. This is episode show number eight of season number five. We are here, and it's Super Bowl Sunday as we record this podcast. So sometime during this Super Bowl, this uh, Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to report the score to you. You may be listening to this show on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. You know, we got a bunch of episodes out there. There's already seven episodes up in um, the year 2024. Now it's season number five. We're the Teal Shirt Report podcast. Hey, we're brought to you by Saucerility and Capital, the Mad Max Mix.weebly.com, LakeUfallahits.com, where JC does a Thursday night show from his pub. And Mad Max does his Wednesday night show as well. His requested his requested music show, the Internet Radio Wednesday night request show, Mad Max Mix, 6 till 8 Central Time, 7 till 9 o'clock. Eastern Time, Mad Max, and also our executive producer, JC. You know what they do. You know what they do. It's great to, great to have you tuned in today. And, uh, man, the weather's changed. We had cold weather. Now we got warm weather. Super Bowl Sunday in Jacksonville. People could be watching the games at home or wherever they go off to watch the games on the tube. High temperature on Super Sunday is going to get up to around 79 or possibly 80, 81 degrees. It's going to be a warm Sunday. And then in a couple of days from now, maybe by Tuesday or so, it's going to kind of get cold again, I think, midweek. So the weather's ever-changing. These NFL rosters are always evolving. So you got Yes, the rosters are always evolving, ever-changing from year to year. The bottom of the rosters where you have man 53 and man 52, a lot of times those are kind of changing at the bottom of the rosters. And during the season, you could see, you know, they, the um, networks have put something on the screen, Jaguars losses, players that have moved on, and then new players, new incoming players. So, it does change quite a bit. The Jaguars got them. You know, they've got to make some uh, changes. All the teams, all 32 teams in the league will make changes. They all want to get to the prestigious Super Bowl where the Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers have ended up here in early February of 2024. The season's still going on, but it'll be over with after Super Bowl Sunday, of course. When we're trying to make sense out of it all, I also want to tell you that this is episode show number eight of the Teal Shirt Report podcast. I'm saluting the first number eight guy that comes to my mind. That's Don Gaffney. Played quarterback for the Florida Gators back in the 70s, 1970s. Played for head coach Doug Dickey years and years ago. Gaffney won some big games. Florida struggled at times in the 70s with Doug Dickey. Had a few good seasons. Had a few seasons that were not so great. But I will tell you this about Don Gaffney. He was a pretty good college football quarterback. And when he played pro ball, Don was primarily played in the AFA. This was the league that kind of preceded the USFL, the AFA, the, Amer the old American Football Association, JC. Uh, there was a, I know there was a Birmingham 
team in this league and Jacksonville actually won the league championship in the early eighties. I believe it was 80 or 81, perhaps the Jacksonville firebirds won the AFA title. Don Gaffney was a quarterback of that team. He wore number eight for the Florida Gators. And he's the main guy I think of when I think of number eight. So I'll salute Don Gaffney played for the Florida Gators played for the Jacksonville Firebirds, not only played quarterback for the Jacksonville Firebirds, the Jacksonville Firebirds in the early 1980s won an AFA championship. I think the league folded and the AFA folded after two or three years. And then next came the USFL. USFL played for what? 83, 84, 85, I believe. And Jacksonville did not have a team the first year in that league. They, the Jacksonville Bulls came in uh, in year two and year three. So that's some Jacksonville, Florida sports history for you. Some professional leagues that Jacksonville was in. Of course, we all remember the USFL was a Jacksonville Bulls. You go back to the mid-70s, there was a Jacksonville Sharks and the Jacksonville Express. I think those were the more, that those were the main four uh, teams that the Jackson that the Jacksonville Florida area had prior to the Jaguars coming in and Jacksonville Florida getting an NFL franchise in 1993 officially in November of 1993 and then they started playing games in 1995 the Hall of Fame game um, in the summer in the summer of 93 and then the first regular season game was at the stadium at Jacksonville Municipal Stadium against the Houston Oilers the Oilers the Oilers won that game Houston Oilers 10 Jacksonville Jaguars 3 not much offense in that first game in Jacksonville but it got better in year 2 in 96 when the Jaguars made the playoffs for the first time right playoffs it did happen early on in the franchise of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So we're talking about making sense out of it all. You know, I, I've seen some interesting reports out there. Do the Jaguars keep Cam Robinson? Do they part with Cam Robinson? Because they um, they will take a – on Cam Robinson's contract, they'll take a major, really a major cap hit, as I understand it. And let's take a look right now at some players. You know, there's some players out there that may not finish their their current multi-year deals that they've won. They've been on these deals, and they're still on deals. Um, the guy that might not be around in 2024, but perhaps he was the best offensive lineman for the Jaguars, left tackle Cam Robinson. Cam missed a lot of games. I mean, he played in maybe slightly over half the games, but, you know, he he was suspended for four games for PEDs, had the knee injury toward midseason. Then he returned right at the end of the year. And I think the Jaguars actually had a winning record. What were they, 7-2, 7-3 when Cam Robinson started at left tackle? So they were pretty successful when Cam Robinson Started at left tackle. Cam Robinson, of course, one of the the more uh, longest tenured Jaguars players. He's been with the Jaguars since uh, uh, Doug Marone and Urban Meyer were here. And now 
Coach Doug Peterson's the head coach of the Jaguars, so he's seen three head coaches. When Cam drafted, Tom Coughlin was still the executive vice president for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I do remember Tom Coughlin and, again, of course, GM Dave Codwell as part of that draft when Cam Robinson was drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars. There's other players besides Cam Robinson that have been in Jacksonville for a long time. Tyler Shatley's been around longer than Cam Robinson. He's basically been a center guard, mostly a backup offensive lineman, but he's had to he's had to play also. Um, Dewan Smoot, is he going to be back? That's going to be interesting. So, but the number one guy, Cam Robinson, Cam Robinson's in a situation where we did read an article in Black and Teal and looked at the fact that, um, you know, Cam has, has been in Jacksonville for a long time. However, um, Cam Robinson set to have a massive cap hit of $21.1 million next season but the Jaguars could free up $17.2 million with just $3.8 million in dead money if they move on from Cam Robinson. Again, the Jaguars brass general manager Trent Baalke going to be conferring with Coach Doug Peterson. And, you know, Cam Robinson was drafted out of Alabama. I think he was a Tom Coughlin pick, and he's been a pretty good player, actually. When I say a Tom Coughlin pick, everything went through Tom Coughlin when he was the executive vice president. Dave wanted to pick somebody. Tom pretty much had to agree on it. And maybe Tom even interjected, hey, we want Cam Robinson. I'm just telling you how I think things went on. You know, we told you we had similar opinions when Urban Meyer was in Jacksonville, though it was a brief time less less than a year. So Cam Robinson's an interesting guy. General manager Trent Baalke is going to have to decide, hey, are we going to um, – are we going to keep Cam Robinson? Probably our most uh, – not the most dependable because he missed a lot of games in 2023, but probably, dare we say it, shall we say it, perhaps the best offensive lineman the Jaguars had in uh, 2023. You can say Brandon Sheriff is a good right guard on the right side, but the Jaguars need some help in the draft. There's been talk that Anton Harrison, and I've heard this from more than one source, Anton Harris could play left tackle. He could move to left tackle. Maybe Walker Little goes to uh, right tackle. Maybe the Jags draft a tackle. I think with that number 17 pick, you could see a left tackle drafted possibly, but I would say more probable would be a interior guy a guard for the most part that might be able to play center uh might be versatile might be a very very good guard available i'm i'm sure there will be at 17 or the jacks can go wide receiver try to get potentially a number one wide receiver i think they do both but first and second round if the jags re-sign ridley who's a straight up free agent now i i really I, I don't know. I, I Ridley got a thousand yards receiving in seventeen games. Ridley, a lot of people thought he was a little undersized, a little underweight. The Jags probably need a bigger wide receiver who's still fast that can be a very, very good route runner. To me, Ridley struck me as he was not always productive in all games. Obviously, uh, he was a home run hitter. 
maybe nothing more, nothing less. But, you know, he was good at hitting the home run play and making getting that long reception from time to time. And Calvin Ridley did end up with over 1,000 yards receiving for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Should it have been 1,500 yards? And then Ridley, we might be talking that the Jaguars definitely want to re-sign Ridley then. However, if the Jaguars re-sign Ridley now, I believe according to our correspondent, uh, John Gaylor, the Jaguars would lose a second-round pick that would, I believe, go to Atlanta because the Jaguars originally made the trade um, in the and actually the Jaguars made that trade toward the latter part of 2022. Ridley could not play in 2022. He was under the suspension, the the gambling suspension, and then he played for the Jaguars in 2023. I think Ridley played enough games to show us what he could do. And quite frankly, he's a talented guy. Um, there's probably, on on one hand, I'm sure General Manager Trent Baalke would like to have him in Jacksonville. On the other hand, maybe not. Jags, perhaps that second round pick could be for another wide receiver who potentially could be a number one. The Jaguars will draft a wide receiver, I think, with either the first round pick or the second round pick or the third round pick. Jaguars need an interior offensive line guy. Rumors about a cornerback. I think the needs are bigger at wide receiver and interior offensive line right now. You got a quarterback you're trying to keep healthy. He got he, he got injured three times, three times in the in a month in a month of the season in uh, 2023. You got to keep the quarterback upright. You got to get the running game going even more. Etn had a good year. It could be even better. And the second string back tank Bigsby has got to get untracked. And he's got to hit, he's got, he can't hesitate. He's got to hit the hole quicker. And the Jaguars need to improve a lot on offense. They got to improve a lot on defense too, but I don't see a defensive selection until maybe the third round or fourth round. But that's my opinion. Balky could get enamored with a guy again in the combine and go cornerback first round. It's fun to talk about because we don't know exactly, we, we can speculate, but we don't know exactly what's going to happen until the draft actually comes around. March and free agency in March will be the table setter for the draft in late April of 2024. Another draft coming. We've been through a lot of these on the Teal Shirt Report podcast. We appreciate you listening in to the Teal Shirt Report podcast. We're brought to you by Saucer Realty and Capital for your real estate needs in North Florida and surrounding areas. Remember Larry Saucer with Saucer Realty and Capital. Also, uh, LakeUfallHits.com, great internet radio where it's all good. JC does a show now on Thursday nights from the pub. Make sure you check out the Mad Max Mix, the Mad Max Mix.Weebly.com. The um, Max's show is the Wednesday night, the internet radio Wednesday night music request show. Whether it's a rock classic you want to hear or a music pop classic, check out the Mad Max Mix each Wednesday night, 6 o'clock until 8 o'clock Central Time, 7 o'clock until 9 o'clock Eastern Time. And then, of course, on Thursday night, JC's uh, live show, Thursday night, beginning at, I believe, 6 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock Eastern on Thursday nights. JC, man, I've listened to your show. Man, you got a good show. Uh, Mad Max, 
I want to thank Mad Max. He interviews me at least once a month. Uh, a lot of times, twice a month, we enjoy being on Max's show, talking music, talking sports, talking requests, because Max will play requests for us. Mad Max, the Mad Max Mix Weebly.com. Mad Max and our executive producer, JC, you know what they do. And we want to thank all of our sponsors, Saucer Realty and Capital, the Mad Max Mix Weebly.com. You can find links to Mad Max's Wednesday, uh, Wednesday evening show on our website at bigjreport.com in the Neighbors 2 section and also in the Outside the Box section on bigjreport.com. And, you know, if you've been looking for a really good internet radio station, check out lakeufallahits.com. Great internet radio. JC does um, his live show on Thursday evening, 6 o'clock Central Time, 7 o'clock Eastern Time, live from his pub on Thursday nights. So a lot of good internet radio out there as well. You can find the links for both of those shows and for LakeUfallahits.com. Great internet radio where it's all good. Uh, go to our website at BigJReport.com. Check out the Neighbors 2 section near the concerts. You'll find the links for these shows. And LakeUfallahits.com. Great internet radio 24-7. The uh, internet radio station Mad Max is on the Mad Max Mix on Weebly.com. That's also 24-7. There's something there all the time. So so great opportunities. Um, you know, some some great outlets on internet radio to find the music you want to find and enjoy it, by the way. Talking about the Jaguars, Zay Jones, does he come back? You know, we, we were talking about Calvin Ridley, and it's looking, it's looking like Probably Calvin Ridley, Ridley, realistically, will not be a Jaguars player in 2024. That's my take. There may not be a guy wearing zero next season in 2024. And then another guy that you you could walk away from with with a you know, and he couldn't maybe he doesn't finish out his his deal with the Jaguars could be Zay Jones. But if Ridley leaves, you know, at that point you may be saying, man, we better hang on to Zay Jones, right? Jaguars have drafted some some safeties. I, I like A.J. Antonio Johnson, who will be moving into his second year, fifth-round steal out of Texas A&M. I like him. He's not even a starter but plays very good special teams but has played a lot of football at safety for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Rayshon Jenkins, does he continue to be with the Jacksonville Jaguars and finish off his deal? These are the questions that general manager Trent Baalke will have to answer for the franchise as the Jaguars move ahead. You know, after the Super Bowl, they start making a few changes in February and March with free agency. And then, of course, the biggest, I think the biggest thing of the offseason is that, that draft of college football players in late April of 2024. Does Anton Harrison, who a lot of people think could be a better player on the left side than the right side, could Anton Harris Harrison, a player I think who was plagued with injuries some in his uh, rookie season, and if he's 100% healthy, can he be moved? Um, can he be moved to left tackle? I've heard some people that say he may just be a perfect left tackle type of player. And I've heard this from former 
Jaguars players. Could Cam Robinson be released or even traded? Those are all possibilities. Could could Cam stay and play out his contract? Yes, he could. Do the Jaguars need the salary cap money more than hanging on to one Cam Robinson? So those are some of the questions that have to be answered. Um, you take a look at the other players we, we mentioned, you know, such as... You know, such as Cam Robinson, does he come back or not? Based on the information I'm looking at, the things that are being projected, um, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking there's a good chance Cam, the Jaguars could move on from Cam. So we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Florida Gator basketball, want to talk about that, want to touch on that for a moment. The Gators have won three out of their last four games. That's right. Golden is retrieving wins. Second-year coach Todd Golden at the University of Florida with big wins in overtime over the Georgia Bulldogs, the UK, Kentucky Wildcats, and now a big, huge win over Auburn. Florida really took control of the game early, held on, won the game. It was a double-digit win for the Florida Gators. College basketball, UF's Golden retrieving wins now. The Gators have won three out of their last four and have beaten Georgia, UK, and now Auburn. And, uh, boy, the weather's changing in Jacksonville, too. It was cold. Now it's warm. And it's going to get cold again by midweek, I'm told, by the weather people. And we do check weather at BigJReport.com. Check our homepage at BigJReport.com for North Florida and surrounding area uh, weather. Um, Weather capsule. A lot of sunshine on Sunday morning on Super Sunday in Jacksonville. Got down to 60. Not as not as cool. Low as 60 on Sunday morning, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, latest weather, partly cloudy to mostly cloudy, and the warm-up continues for now. High temperatures around 78 or 79 or thereabouts. Lows at night around 56. Um, upper 50s to near 60. It got down to 60. Uh, this morning on Super Bowl Sunday, wind south at as much as 6 to 21 miles per hour at times. Florida Gator basketball. The Gators the Gators beat Auburn. Men's college basketball. Florida Gators uh, 81. The Auburn Tigers 65. A final great Gator win. The game was uh, very huge. Auburn in this particular game was trying to win already their 20th victory of the year. Florida won, though. The Florida Gators 81, Auburn 65. Florida took control of this game early and just, you know, pretty much played well most of the entire game. Uh, the Florida Gators under second-year coach Todd Golden. The Florida Gators improved to 16-7 and overall. Auburn falls to 19-5. and Auburn's got a big matchup in a few days with South Carolina, by the way. So that's a look at the Florida Gators. Man, they're looking good. Won three big games in the last couple of weeks. Uh, they beat UK in overtime. Well, I guess it all started with Georgia. They beat Georgia in overtime, then beat UK in overtime. Lost to Texas A&M by a minuscule one point. Texas A&M's got a good college basketball team. I was looking at the SEC Network uh, this morning where Texas A&M literally blew Tennessee off the court. 
So they got a good team. Florida, the Florida Gators and Coach Todd Golden lost to Texas A&M. Um, a few days ago, they lost to Texas A&M by one point, but they rebounded good with an 81-65 to win. Florida 81, Auburn 65, a final. That game was played on Saturday, February the 10th. So the Florida Gators playing well, winning some close games, and the Auburn game was certainly not anywhere as close as the the Georgian UK wins, Florida 81, Auburn 65. Coach Todd Golden is starting to get the Gators where they want to go. Florida improves to 16 and 7 overall. So that's kind of our take of the SEC in college basketball. Um, we're going to take a look at the, the SEC college basketball standings coming up. We'll talk a little college football with the SEC. And we got North Florida Entertainment coming up. More about the Jaguars. Uh, the Jacksonville Icemen are playing well. They just split a couple of games with Orlando. The Icemen have been extremely hot. They won five in a row, and then they split a pair of games with Orlando. So Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Icemen, North Florida's hockey team, they have still won, managed to win like uh, six out of their last seven games. You're tuned into the Teal Shirt Report podcast. This is episode show number eight of season number five here in 2024. It's Super Sunday, February the 11th of 2024. 49ers and Kansas City Chiefs, San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs lacing it up. Last I checked, San Fran, a one-point favorite. And I can go back to the line. Let's see what the line is right before game time. I believe it's still two points. February the 11th kickoff, still two points in the game. San Francisco's a two-point favorite over the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm picking Kansas City. I had an, I had a, actually a, uh, I had a segment that didn't process properly, and we had talked about our pick a little bit earlier in this podcast. We'll do it now. We mentioned our pick in episode six, seven, and now eight. And this is before kickoff time, by the way. I'm taking Kansas City to win the game. The Kansas City Chiefs 24, the San Francisco 49ers 20. That uh, total of 47.5 points, that would take it just under to 44 total points. San Francisco. And, um, you know, I'm looking at a couple of different things. Now, this point spread has been anywhere from – Mainly anywhere right now from one and a half to two and a half points. Most circles, I think two points is a spread. San Francisco is a two-point favorite over Kansas City. I'm going to take Kansas City to win the game, cover the spread, and the total will go under. One of my sources is saying that, and I'm also saying that. So let's see what happens. My playoff predictions have been horrendous. The first week, I, I did okay against the spread. But, man, after that, these games, these NFL playoff games this year were really crazy. Crazy games. I mean, the Eagles and Cowboys got knocked out very, very early in the playoffs. Buccaneers aren't around anymore. Uh, the Buffalo Bills missed a field goal wide to the right against the Chiefs and lost that game. I think the Kansas City defensive backs – I think three reasons why, and I'm not even going to throw Travis Kelsey in there because I'm sure he'll catch a touchdown pass during this game and catch some key passes that tied in for the Kansas City Chiefs. 
But I think the three keys to victory for Kansas City, and keep in mind, both teams, San Francisco and Kansas City, both have a lot of explosive offensive weapons. Both teams do. But I believe the three biggest things going for the Chiefs are going to be head coach Andy Reid, quarterback Patrick Mahomes, and the Kansas City Chiefs defensive backs. San Francisco's quarterback, uh, Purdy, Brock Purdy, he's he's elusive, but he's very, very quick, gets rid of the ball quick. It's going to be a test for the Kansas City Chiefs defensive backs, but it's also going to be a test for San Francisco quarterback, Brock Purdy. San Francisco has a very, very good roster, but the Chiefs, I like their defensive backs against Brock Purdy. I like the adjustments that Andy Reid can make during a two-week break between the last game, the AFC and NFC title games, to now the Super Bowl two weeks later. So I like the aspect of Coach Andy Reid. Patrick Mahomes, obvious, uh, the veteran quarterback. He's now a veteran quarterback with the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Kansas City Chiefs defensive backs look very good, especially toward the tail end of that Buffalo game. And then they really quieted Lamar Jackson. What did Baltimore score in that game? Ten points or something? So the Kansas City Chiefs are playing well. They they got banged up, had some, some injuries a little bit. However, they've had two weeks to rest up, to heal up. And Andy Reid's had two weeks to install the Super Bowl game plan for the Kansas City Chiefs. So it's going to be interesting. I like Kansas City. I'm going to take Kansas City Chiefs to win the game. Kansas City Chiefs 24, San Francisco 49ers 20 is my prediction. I made the same prediction in episode 6, 7, and now 8. We will also, by the way, get the final score during this particular episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Teal Shirt Report podcast. We're trying to make sense out of it all. we got North Florida Entertainment coming up. Uh, we'll talk a little Iceman hockey. The Iceman's still red hot on ice. We'll talk more right here on the Teal Shirt Report podcast. This is episode show number eight, saluting Don Gaffney, the former Florida Gator quarterback way back in the 1970s. He also played professional football professionally with the the American Football Association's Jacksonville Firebirds and won a championship back in the early 1980s. More of the Teal Shirt Report podcast coming up. I'm your host, Scott. Hey, thank you for listening. You know something, if you're a Jaguars fan, the season 2023 just totally had to frustrate you. The four-game losing streak. The defense, in my opinion, giving up too many sustained drives, especially when we got into the meat of the schedule, the tough part of the schedule. The Trevor Lawrence quarterback, Jags quarterback Trevor Lawrence, has three injuries in a period of about a month. These are the frustrating things. Losing four games in a row, losing five of the last six games. Your backup quarterback, C.J. Beathard, really won the only game. He was the quarterback of record against the lowly Carolina Panthers, who quite frankly may have been the worst team in the league. So those are some of my frustrations when I think and talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars here on the Teal Shirt Report podcast. Better news, SEC basketball, SEC football. Gators are 
a bit on a hot streak with overtime wins over Georgia, Kentucky, only a one-point loss to Texas A&M, and a huge, I believe it was a 13-point win over Auburn. What, 81-68, I believe, was the final score that we we gave to you a little bit earlier. So we're going to take a look at uh, – let's see. We're going to take a look at some some SEC – Give me a moment. We're going to take a look at some SEC standings. I had them up a little bit earlier, and uh, we will attempt to pull those up now. Some SEC college basketball standings. The uh, Florida Gators now 16-7. and They've only lost, I believe, one game in the last four. And, you know, I, I thought if the Gators could go – 10 and 8 in the SEC, plus the pretty good preseason they had. I said, man, they're going to go to the NCAA tournament. They've had some big wins. The Kentucky game was a big win. Um, Obviously, from a rival standpoint, the Georgia game was a huge win in overtime. Florida had a 13-point lead in that one. Georgia, you know, under the old Florida coach, Mike White, Georgia outscored Florida 13 points in the second half. And that was a hard fought overtime win for Florida. I'm looking at the, uh, I'm looking at the Florida win. Let's see, according to the scoreboard, it was actually a, on the SEC scoreboard, I'm looking at, it looks like it was actually a, um, was that a 16-point win, Florida 81, Auburn 65, Alabama beat LSU. Alabama put 109 points up on LSU, 109 to 92. South Carolina, one of the best teams in the conference. South Carolina uh, defeated Vanderbilt 75 to 60, Florida 81, Auburn 65. Uh, Gonzaga beat Kentucky 89-85. And why don't we take a look at the standings there? There have been some some really good uh, SEC basketball uh, games, and uh, let's take a look at the standings. You know, I got I got I got men's basketball before we talk about SEC football. Man, SEC basketball is heating up. South Carolina does actually have the best conference record. It looks like South Carolina and Alabama are tied at nine and two in the conference. Meanwhile, you drop down a little bit. Florida six and four in the conference. I think the goal is, I think there's 18 conference games, so the goal for me would be 10 and 8 for Florida. I mean, the four-letter network was talking about, what were they talking about, 13, 14, 15 wins for Florida, the talking heads, or however they spin it when they take a look at predictions or possibilities. Could Florida get on a roll now and do better than 10 and 8 in the SEC? Possibly, possibly. SEC is tough. Uh, Texas A&M blew out Tennessee on Saturday, February the 10th, and the Gators had lost to a very good Texas A&M team by just one point. Texas A&M is actually 15-8, and eight, so Florida has a better record than Texas A&M. Kentucky's been sliding some little pressure on uh, Kentucky right now. But you take a look at the SEC South Carolina's 21 and 3 overall, Alabama 17 and 7 overall, Auburn 19 and 5, Tennessee 17 and 6. And now Florida finds themselves kind of tied with the same conference and the same overall record as Kentucky. Florida 16 and 7 overall, and Kentucky 16 and 7. 
Uh, Texas A&M's 15 and 8. Ole Miss is uh, is at 18 and 5, but they're 5 and 5 in the conference. Mississippi State 16 and 8, 5 and 6 in the conference. And LSU's 12 and 11 overall. Georgia's 14 and 10 overall, but Georgia's 4 and 7 in the conference. Arkansas is 12 and 11 overall, 3 and 7 in the conference. And then things kind of slide down, down there from that point on. So the second year coach for Florida, Todd Golden, right? Golden retrieving, golden retrieving wins. And the Florida's won three out of the last four games. Big wins, too. Overtime went over your rival Georgia, beat Kentucky in overtime. However, lost to Texas A&M by one point, just one point. And uh, Florida, Florida obviously beat up on Auburn. Florida jumped Auburn in the beginning. Florida had um, got off to a good start. They just kind of kept it going. Florida shot the ball pretty well, got the points. Hey, by the way, you're listening to the Teal Shirt Report podcast covering the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Super Bowl, the SEC, North Florida Entertainment and Jacksonville Iceman Hockey in the East Coast Hockey League. Um, there's a picture in the Facebook group of Hank Stram, a young Hank Stram when he basically in about that era when the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl in 1970. That's the first Super Bowl I've ever watched. I think that was the 1969 season. The 1970 game was played in January. Now, you know, there's so many more games. It's played, the Super Bowl is played in February. Uh, There was a 14-game regular season schedule, you know, back in 70. My first Super Bowl I ever watched was the Kansas City Chiefs 23, the Minnesota Vikings 7. Jan Stenerud, I think he kicked three field goals in that game. Otis Taylor, the, the big wide receiver, for Kansas City, called a short pass from Kansas City quarterback Lenny Dawson on the sidelines. And you talk about yak yardage after the catch. Otis Taylor tight rope the sidelines and went all the way for the score. I can't remember the yardage of the play, but man, I think he I think he ran about 40 yards down the sidelines in that Super Bowl. And Kansas City went on to a 23 to 7 victory. Fran Tarkenton was not the quarterback of Minnesota in that game. Joe Cap was. I believe Fran Tarkington was with the Giants in, I believe. Um, Fran Tarkington had an interesting career where he started out in Minnesota, went to the Giants in a trade, and then came back to Minnesota. But Joe Cap quarterbacked that, that 1970 Super Bowl, which I believe was actually the 1969 season, but the first Super Bowl I ever watched the Kansas City Chiefs, I was six or seven years old at the time, I believe. The Kansas City Chiefs won the game 23-7 to over the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings have never won a Super Bowl, but they've been in, what, at least three or four of them, I believe. Uh, Kansas City plays San Francisco. San Francisco 49ers, clearly a, about a two-point favorite. I think it's one-and-a-half to two-and-a-half points in most circles. Again, I'm picking Kansas City to beat San Fran. Kansas, I got Kansas City 24, San Francisco 20, and this is still well before kickoff. This podcast we're working on on Super Bowl Sunday, February the 11th, still early in the morning, but we got a picture 
in the BigJReport.com Facebook group of a young Hank Strand with his Super Bowl ring on, and he's got that that uh, legendary. Uh, I don't know. He's got like a something folded up in his hand. I guess it's the playbook, or or just a roster, just something he likes to hold on to during the game. As Kansas City Chiefs head coach back then, Hank Stram said, "Just keep because they, they they had a mic on the guy." Back in the day, I guess it was NFL Films, had a mic on Hank Stram. He kept saying, let's matriculate the ball down the field. This would be a good game for you to watch, like in the old films. And I believe it's available. Most of the highlights of the old Kansas City Chiefs, 23-7 win over Minnesota. Back in January of 1970, I believe it was a 1969 season. I really didn't watch football yet. I was too young almost like a toddler, when Joe Namath and the Jets won the Super Bowl over the Colts in the earlier year. And then my first Super Bowl I watched was Kansas City over Minnesota 23-7. to Make sure you tune in for the Mad Max Mix, madmaxmix.weebly.com. Check out Mad Max. It's a internet radio Wednesday night musical quest show, 6 to 8 Central Time, 7 o'clock till 9 o'clock Eastern Time. With Mad Max and, you know, Max, I want to thank Max. He interviews me during his show about once or twice a month. He's on every Wednesday night. Uh, Internet radio, Wednesday night musical quest show, the Mad Max Mix, .com. We got links to the show, the Mad Max's Wednesday evening show, in the outside the box section on our website at bigjreport.com and also the Neighbors 2 section. Also, don't forget another entity. LakeUfallahits.com, great internet radio, where now JC does a live show on Thursday nights, 6 o'clock Central Time, 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Our executive producer, JC, and, of course, Mad Max, our Georgia Bulldog football insider. You you know what they do, Mad Max and, and JC. So, hey, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. The Teal Shirt Report podcast covering the Jaguars, the Super Bowl, the SEC, North Florida Entertainment, which includes the Jackson, Jacksonville Iceman hockey team. They've been hot on ice, and they've won like six out of their last seven games. Florida Gator basketball seems to be heading, starting to head in the right direction over under, under second-year coach Todd Golden. And you're tuned in to the Teal Shirt Report podcast talking SEC football for a moment. Um, still very, very early. I mean, it's before the spring games. It's February the 11th. As I check the calendar on the laptop here, I'm sipping on that cup of coffee. We had, we had got to buy one, get one on Javalia. The, um, the, the, uh, dark, I guess it's the dark or bold gold roast. Javalia is pretty, it's, you know, I've never been a big fan of Javalia coffee. It looks good on the commercials, maybe. But this gold roast, the dark gold roast coffee is pretty good from Javalia. And it was even better because it was like a buy one, get one at the local grocery store. It's pretty good with, the you know, setting it up with the right uh, creamer, right coffee creamer, maybe a little bit of milk also with the coffee creamer. So the Javalia gold roast coffee. I'm enjoying that while doing this podcast on Super Bowl Sunday, on Sunday, February the 11th of 2024. And we certainly appreciate you tuning in. 
Jacksville Iceman Hockey, the Iceman red hot on ice, hot on ice. The Iceman have won like six of their last seven games. They, um, you know, they, they really look good, the Iceman. They're scoring a lot of goals. They did lose a game to Orlando, but Orlando's got a pretty good team. They really do. Orlando's got a good team. I mean, they're better than Savannah, the Savannah Ghost Pirates, and the Atlanta Gladiators. Um, let's take a look at the Southern Division of the East Coast Hockey League here on the Teal Shirt Report podcast. And we start moving into some North Florida entertainment now. Jacksonville Iceman, listen to this, man. The Iceman are 28 and 15 and 4. 28 wins, 15 losses, four overtime losses. So the Iceman are 28, 15 and 4. Orlando's in fifth place. They're better than Savannah and Atlanta. But let's take a look at the standings. Greenville having an unreal year with 32 wins and 14 losses. Their Greenville Swamp Rabbits are 32, 14, and 2 with 66 total points in the standings. But our Jacksonville Icemen are in second place in the seven-team Southern Division of the East Coast Hockey League. There's about four divisions in the East Coast Hockey League. All, all four divisions in the East Coast Hockey League uh, basically have – seven teams in each division, so there's 28 teams in the league. Again, the Greenville Swamp Rabbits with 66 total points in the standings. The Jacksonville Icemen with 60 total points in the standings. The South Carolina Stingrays with 59 total points in the standings. Florida Everblades playing a little better hockey now. Heck, they're 23, 14, and 6, and they're in fourth place. Florida Everblades moving up a little bit with 53 total points in the standings. Orlando Solar Bears have been the only team that uh, found a victory over the Iceman in the last um, seven games. However, the Iceman came back on Saturday and beat up on the Orlando Solar Bears. We'll take a look at some of these Iceman game scores coming up. The Orlando Solar Bears in fifth place with 50 total points in the standings. Savannah Ghost Pirates in their second year in the league, 39 total points in the standings. And, oh, yes, the Atlanta Gladiators. The Atlanta Gladiators are in last place in the Southern Division. They got 35 points, I believe. Let me go back and pull that up. That's Southern Division. You got Savannah in sixth place in the seventeen division. Let's see, Savannah's got 39 points in the standings. The Atlanta Gladiators with 35 total points in the East Coast Hockey League Southern Division standings. I wanted to... Um, Quickly go over some scores. The last two games have been against Orlando. Um, the Iceman did win the Saturday night, February the 10th game. And uh, let's pull up some, some game results. The Iceman still scoring a lot of goals most nights. Uh, let's take a look at some, some scores here. You got... You know, Wichita Thunder beat the Fort Wayne Comets 3-2 to two on February the 10th. And, uh, boy, that's a long-time hockey franchise of Fort Wayne Comets. who used to be in the old IHL, but now they're in the East Coast Hockey League. Great league, too, by the way. Um, taking a look at the Iceman against the Orlando Solar Bears. This is the last game that was played by the Iceman. Saturday night, February the 10th, the Jacksonville Iceman 4, the Orlando Solar Bears 1. And I think the only game the Iceman have lost – in the last seven games they played, they did lose to Orlando. 
Let's see. They lost to Orlando two to one. Orlando Solar Bears two, the Jacksonville Iceman one on February the 9th, and then moving ahead to Saturday night, February the 10th, the Iceman defeated the Orlando Solar Bears, the Jacksonville Iceman four, the Orlando Solar Bears one on Saturday night, February the 10th. And that is the very latest in hockey from the East Coast Hockey League Southern Division and the Jacksonville Iceman hot on ice. Congratulations to Bob Arablo and the management team, the ownership group of the Jacksonville Iceman on putting together a really good team. The team got off to a slow start in October, November, but they have flat turned it on in December, January, and now February. The Jacksonville Iceman hot on ice, and they're probably the best entertainment value for a family to go to a Jacksonville Iceman hockey game at the Star Veterans Memorial Arena. Again, congratulations to Bob Arablo, all the coaches and players of the Jacksonville Iceman 2023-24 team, now in their seventh year in Jacksonville, Florida, the Jacksonville Iceman. We'll check more North Florida entertainment. We'll take a look at the concerts. We're going to make sense out of the Super Bowl. We're actually going to have the Super Bowl results on this podcast, on this particular episode, episode show number eight of the Teal Shirt Report podcast. More North Florida entertainment coming up. I did tell you we were going to talk SEC football, right? Right. We we can talk about that now real quickly before we go to break. Um, I've, I've got a few thoughts to kind of throw together. You know, Alabama's got a new coach. Nick Saban's retired. DeVore from the Washington Huskies moves into Alabama. Coach DeVore moves into Alabama as their, their new head coach. And... You know, Nick's gotten out. Nick's going to be the all-time greatest coach in Alabama football. I don't see how DeVore can catch him. Maybe he can be close. Alabama would be very fortunate if they get close. Now, DeVore got his Washington Huskies into the national championship game. Now he moves over to Alabama. Um, so Alabama's new coach is Coach DeVore. Um. Let's pull up some information about, wow, a new Alabama offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb, is leaving for the Seahawks now. Okay, Ryan Grubb expected to be hired as offensive coordinator for the Seahawks. Maybe that's not the greatest news for Alabama at the moment. Um, I, I did hear that Bill O'Brien is taking the Boston College job. Former Alabama assistant Bill O'Brien is taking the head coaching job at Boston College. I think Bill O'Brien can be a a very good head football coach, no doubt. He, he was a very good NFL coach. But again, Boston College hires former NFL head coach and Alabama coach to lead Boston College. Boston College still in the ACC is... There's conference realigning, as you know, Oklahoma and Texas now coming into the SEC as of the summer of 2024. So Oklahoma and Texas, their first seasons in the SEC will be this coming year in 2024. Bear in mind, there's not been any spring games yet. Um, I see that former Alabama standout uh, Dante Hightower has been hired by the Patriots as their linebacker coach now. And 
again, Alabama's got a new head coach, and uh, the new head football coach of the Alabama Crimson, Crimson Tide is Coach DeVore, who um, who won, actually, won the Pac-12 title, beat Oregon twice by three points in each game, finished second in the nation before bowing out to Michigan in the national championship of college football in January of 2024, which was the 2023 season. Uh, so Alabama's got a guy they kind of like at this juncture. Uh, they met him at the airport. If Nick's retiring, you got to get a good guy. And, you know, my executive producer, JC, who's a big Alabama fan, he's kind of our Alabama Crimson Tide insider. And he's always been really an expert on the SEC West, although the SEC now as I understand it, they're getting rid of the East and West, um, and there's going to be just one long 16-team conference. Um, the new coach at Alabama is Kalen Douglas DeBoer. I think I called him DeVore, but it's DeBoer. Kalen Douglas DeBoer is a college football coach who is now the head football coach at Alabama. Uh, DeBoer was a head football coach at the University of uh, Sioux Falls from 2005 to 2009, California State University, uh, Fresno from 20 to 21, and the University of Washington, you know, for the past couple of years in 2022 and 2023, played in the championship game, as you know, or his team did. He coached the national championship game as Michigan, uh, defeated Washington. So he's now the head coach at Alabama. His record is 0-0. So he's got a fresh start. But look who he's following. He's following the kingpin of all college football in Nick Saban. You know, DeVore, is, he, he's, a, he's a young guy. He's uh, 49 years of age. Nick, Nick was, what, 70-ish and retiring now. Uh, this guy, DeVore, is originally from Millbank, South Dakota. Playing career, man, he played back in 93 to 96 at Sioux Falls, played wide receiver in college football, and he is now Alabama's new head football coach. Okay, continuing, continuing with some SEC football talk. Man, I tell you what, our Georgia Bulldog football insider, Mad Max, I know he's got to be happy. Uh, Georgia had another good year. They were huge winners over Florida State in the Orange Bowl, but they, again, they fell short of the SEC title. But they have won two out of the last three national championships. Kirby Smart. Coach Kirby Smart fully entrenched at Georgia with all those four stars and five stars, especially with um, the Georgia Bulldogs. Alabama won the SEC in uh, the 2023 season, beat Georgia in a close SEC championship title game. Um, Alabama's got a new coach moving into 2024, as we talked about uh, Coach DeVore a few moments ago. 
LSU and Coach Brian Kelly. LSU's Coach Brian Kelly now really fully entrenched in the deal at LSU, his third year coming in 2024. And the Florida Gators at five and seven in 2023, the seats during year three, especially if the Gators get off to a slow start, the seat could become very hot for Coach Billy Napier in uh, 2024 a recent press conference and this surprised me and it surprised some gator fans billy napier's not gonna hire a new offensive coordinator maybe an oc says you know billy's on the hot seat maybe i don't want to go in there and be an oc billy kind of said from the beginning he was going to be the guy calling the plays and he's gonna either rise above it or go down with the ship so Coach Billy Napier coming off a of five and seven in his second year at Florida. You know, no matter what the situation is, it's about wins and losses each year. This is year three for Billy Napier. I know my executive producer says, man, Florida's really got to turn it up a big notch this year. I think Florida, for Billy to stay, I think they got to win at least seven games. And then for the year after that, nine or ten. My executive producer disagreed with me a little bit because he thinks Florida needs to win more than seven this year. Have you looked at the schedule, Brother JC? Our executive producer, JC, have you looked at the schedule? Now, the schedule for Florida is doable the first seven games, but how many they can how many can Florida win? Can they go five and two in the first seven games? I mean, there's a couple of podunk junctions on the schedule, but all in all, Florida's probably playing one of the tougher schedules in the nation. The first seven games are doable and could be competitive, and Florida could surprise people and win, what, five or six games in the first seven? Boy, that's a pipe dream, maybe. However, the last five games on the schedule are like murder's row. Florida's got to play Georgia, Ole Miss, Texas. Um, man, I tell you what, I need to just pull the schedule up right now. The Florida Gator 2024 football schedule. Let's pull it up because the, um, let's take a look here at the Florida Gator schedule. Um, as we talk SEC football, Florida coming off a five and seven record. Five and seven. Florida Gator football has been bad a long time ago at one point or another. I've seen some articles out there. People say, no, this is not the complete low point of Florida football. And that is for sure. Uh, Coach Charlie Pell, when he took over the Gators back around 79 or 80, I think 79, uh, after, after Doug Dickey was shown the door, the first coach I ever knew that coach Florida Gator football, he started around 70, and Dickey was out by, I think, in nine after nine seasons in 78 or 79. Coach Doug Dickey was out, I think, 78. Charlie Pell started in 79 at Florida, and it was a rebuild. I think Coach uh, Charlie Pell, in his first year, they went like 0-10-1 back during the 11-game schedule days, and that probably was – and I could be wrong about this, but that probably could have been the worst 
That could I I think Chris Collinsworth was on that team too that went out 10 and 1. Very talented wide receiver for Florida. But you need an entire team and Florida was rebuilding at that juncture. 10 and 1. That was probably the worst year of Florida Gator football. So 5 and 7 for you um, modern Gator fans that haven't been around back in the the old days. 5 and 7 looks bad. But I know Doug Dickey had a four and seven and a seven and four back in the seventies. And Charlie Pell had a very, Charlie Pell won a lot of football games at Florida, but that first year, that first year out of the gate rebuilding Florida, I believe was Oh, 10 and one, I believe I'll double check that, but I'm pretty sure that was pretty close to the record. Take a look at the football schedule. I'm going to pull it up right now. Um, it's going to be interesting. Now, maybe this is, uh, Let's see, the Florida Gators got Texas coming up on the schedule. My goodness. I think this is this is all the games, too. Okay. So, I like the first game. Miami at Florida. Florida's got a shot at that one. Sanford, University Bulldogs at the Florida Gators. Florida should win that one. Texas A&M at Florida. And I forgot Texas A&M was on their schedule, but September 14th. This is a game that could be a pick em. Uh, Florida being at home in Gainesville, I, I'm thinking Florida should be at least, uh, it should be a pick em or Florida should maybe be slightly favored in this one at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium in Gainesville on Saturday, September the 14th. That's a possible win. Uh, Florida Gators at Mississippi State, that's, that'd be a tough one going at Mississippi State, but that's another doable game. You take a look at those first four games and Florida could be three and one. Then they play the Central Florida Knights at Gainesville, UF, UCF Knights, Central Florida Knights, coached by Coach Gus Malzahn. The, U, the Central Florida Knights coming to Gainesville at the Florida Gators October the 5th. That is a doable game. Florida might not win that game, but it's a doable game. It could go either way. Then Florida travels to Knoxville on October the 12th. Should be competitive. Um, Billy Napier's beating Tennessee. Talk about revenge. Tennessee's going to be out to win this one. I think I think the game's doable, but I wouldn't count on it on October the 12th in Knoxville in front of a lot of a big crowd in Knoxville. Kentucky Wildcats at the Florida Gators on October the 19th. Longtime coach Mark Stoops has done a great job at Kentucky. The thing about Kentucky is they're usually solid most years. Florida's gotten beat by Kentucky. Man, this is a game Florida's really going to want. So you take a look at these seven games, and how does Florida do in the first seven games? I think they win some. They lose some. Um, I think Florida could – I think Florida could be – could they be five and two after the first seven games? Is that possible? Then murders row hits. Florida – Georgia, November 2nd uh, here in Jacksonville. Then a week off, Florida plays LSU at home. That's a tough one. Ole Miss at Florida, that's another murderer's row. Tough game against Coach Lane Kiffin of the Ole Miss Rebels. Then Florida Gator, the Florida Gators finish up the season at Florida State. And, of course, you know, their coach, Coach Mike Norvell, just got a big extension over in Tallahassee. And Florida State beat Florida last year. Those last five games, 
my goodness, look at that schedule. Last five games. Is that correct? Is that correct? Florida is playing. I think Texas, I was thinking Texas was on this schedule as well. I guess these are, uh, I'm going to have to revisit this schedule, but you take a look at Georgia, Florida playing Georgia, the, you know, the, the real home stretch of the year, Florida, Georgia, LSU at Florida, Ole Miss at Florida, and the Florida Gators in Tallahassee. How many of those games you win down the stretch? Does Florida have a shot at Georgia in Jacksonville, LSU at Florida, Ole Miss at Florida? <clears throat> Napier needs a winning year. He better win some of those doable games early in the year, too, is what I'm thinking. I'm counting out that. I think I'm missing a game, though. I think, well, we'll, we'll revisit that. I'm going to pull the schedule back up because I think there's a Texas game in there somewhere. We'll, we'll take a look. But we're covering college football, the SEC. Florida went 5-7 and seven last year. Napier's, I think Napier's got to have a winning record to stay in year three. He really does. He's going to be on the hot seat. Florida loses some games early, man. Billy, Coach Billy Napier's going to – his seat's going to get very, very hot. Tennessee is uh, going to re- need to rebound some. They've been pretty competitive with their coach, Josh Heupel. Texas A&M, Jimbo is out. No more Jimbo doing the limbo. Texas A&M tries to climb back into things. Kentucky, usually solid in most years. And Oklahoma and Texas are coming into the SEC this next season in 2024. So that's some of what we see in the SEC. I'm going to pull this Florida Gator schedule back up, and we'll be right back. And we got North Florida Entertainment coming up. We're going to give you the Super Bowl. It's Super Bowl Sunday. When the game ends, I'm going to come on and talk about what happened I am picking Kansas City to win the game by four points over San Fran. We'll, hey, we'll see what happens. More SEC football in North Florida Entertainment and talking about the Super Bowl coming up as well as the Teal Shirt Report podcast continues. Hey, thank you for listening. Okay, back at the – Florida Gator football schedule for 2024. Again, if he loses games early, Coach Billy Napier could get on the hot seat really quick. If he's not already on the hot seat with a lot of the Florida Gator fan base, there's a portion of the fan base that that knows this has been a tough, tough go being a head coach in the world of NIL, transfer portal, conference realignment. Texas and Oklahoma coming into the SEC in 2024. Now 16 teams deep, the Southeastern uh, Conference, 16 teams in the league now. I did miss one game on the schedule, and uh, let's pull it back up what we've got as far as the Florida Gators schedule goes. Um, Texas was one game I missed as I, you know, take a look you know, at the teams on the schedule, obviously. Um, let's pull up the Florida Gator full schedule again and go over some of this here on the Teal Shirt Report podcast as we talk SEC football. 
Let's pull up the schedule. Every time I pull up a schedule, I'm seeing something a little different. I think we got the correct. I think everything was correct, except the Texas game was not on the schedule. Okay. Florida Gators play the spring game April the 13th, Saturday, April the 13th in Gainesville, the traditional orange and blue game in Gainesville on Saturday, October the 13th at an old-time game time, 1 o'clock p.m. All these other games to be announced. As you know, the networks, particularly ESPN, they run college football. Now, August 31st, Florida plays Miami, a doable game. They play Sanford on September the 7th. That That's a game Billy Napier better win. Uh, September the 14th, Texas A&M, Florida plays Texas A&M in Gainesville at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. That's a game that's going to be a pick or maybe Florida's a slight favorite because they're at home, perhaps. Um, Jimbo doing the limbo, that's over with. Jimbo's gone. So Texas A&M basically kind of starting back over. Let's see how good the new guy does. Next man up, right? So the thing about college football is, man, you've got to lock in, put your seatbelt on fast, and be ready for the games. It's none of this, say, hey, we're going to build the team. It's going to take four, three, four, five years to build the team. There's no more of that anymore. It's uh, the NIL. You can change your roster a lot quickly, right? Uh, transfer portal, NIL, conference realigning. Some people have said it's minor league football now. And there may be some truth in that is basically ESPN basically runs and owns college football, it would appear. And they, they've got more say-so, more control than the actual college presidents do of the college football programs at this point, it would seem, except for the, you know, the internal part of the football program, who the coach is, et cetera. It all started years ago when the networks started controlling, hey, the kickoff six days before the game is going to be here. And the networks would tell everybody when the game would start and when the kickoffs would be. Uh, Kickoff times would change inevitably. For many years, that's gone on. And now it's come to this. Basically, ESPN owns most of college football for the most part. And there's a lot of bowl games too. ESPN and the other networks want the programming. They want to sell the packages, the college football packages. And there's a lot of bowl games, a bunch of them, more than ever. So back to the Florida schedule. You got the orange and blue game on April the 13th, August 31st, Florida will host Miami on Saturday. Uh, Time to be announced, of course. Florida can win that game with Miami. They can. That's a big game for both schools to start the season on August 31st. Florida really expected to beat Sanford on September the 7th. Texas A&M may be a pick depending on how well Florida, if Florida's getting some momentum by game three. Florida's picked up some, some new guys. They've had some guys in the transfer portal that have come back. Florida State appears to have a pretty good quarterback room now at least with the first you know the first top two quarterbacks for 2024 with Graham Mertz back and then the five-star coming in the freshman five-star coming in for Florida um, Lagway so Miami is doable Sanford better be doable Texas A&M may be a pick maybe Florida can squeak out a win at home 
then all of a sudden, maybe they're three and oh, could they be three and oh? They got Mississippi State on the road. I think Florida could be, they got UCF on October the 5th in Gainesville. Maybe Florida's four and one after the first five. Then they got Tennessee up in Knoxville. Tennessee up in uh, Knoxville, of course. We're getting to, we're kind of getting toward murder's row now on the Florida schedule. So stand by for that. Talking SEC, college football, going back to the Florida Gators schedule. Going to be a tough one. As I mentioned earlier, the first seven games are doable. Uh, Florida will open with Miami at home on August 31st, play Sanford on September the 7th. All these uh, kickoff times to be announced by the people that own college football, the networks, particularly ESPN. Texas A&M on September the 14th in Gainesville. That's a game that might be a pick em. Maybe Florida can win that one at home. Florida travels to Starkville to play at Mississippi State on September the 21st. Kickoff time to be announced. UCF in Gainesville on Saturday, October the 5th. You're playing, Florida's playing at Tennessee on October the 12th in Knoxville. Then Kentucky with old reliable Mark Stoops. Been there for ages now. And the thing about Kentucky is usually, usually solid most years. This is a game at home in the Florida fan base, the coach Billy Napier, everybody from Florida and involved with the Florida Gators, they want to win this one badly. Kentucky at home on Saturday, October the 19th. That's the first seven games. Those are kind of doable. Can Florida go five and two in the first seven? I think they could, but they're going to have to get some breaks and play good football and can't be that many injuries. Then Murder's Row starts. And when I talk about Murder's Row, I'm talking about Georgia, Florida-Georgia game, Georgia-Florida game, November the 2nd in uh, Jacksonville, a big SEC game. Then Florida goes on the road to, listen to this, Austin, Texas. Florida will be in Austin, Texas on November the 9th. Saturday, November the 9th, the Florida Gators at Austin, Texas to play who else but the Texas Longhorns. Newly, new team, newly in the SEC in 2024. Then Florida plays at home, LSU, Brian Kelly. Coach Brian Kelly should have his team Completely entrenched now the third year of his program at LSU, the former uh, Notre Dame coach. So Florida on November 16th plays LSU in Gainesville at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Ole Miss will be in Gainesville, too, on November the 23rd. Now, the LSU game's November 16th at home. Florida will host LSU. Florida's got a home game against Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss on November the 23rd as Murder's Row continues. And then the Florida State game. Seminoles coach Mike Norvell has just received a a big contract extension to be the coach at Florida State. The game will be in Tallahassee this time at Florida State, November the 30th, Saturday, November the 30th. Always a big game for the University of Florida and Florida State on Saturday, November the 30th. And, of course, the time to be announced. 
SEC championship game Saturday, December the 7th up in Atlanta. So you heard the first seven games are kind of doable in my opinion. The last five games, that is absolutely murder's row. When you talk about Georgia, Texas, LSU, Ole Miss, and Florida State in the last five games, how many can Florida win? Do they go five and two in the first doable seven games? And then can they somehow squeeze out a couple of victories in murder's row the last five games and end up going seven and five and Coach Billy Napier saves his job and even goes bowling with a seven and five record possibly in 2024. That might be the best Florida can hope for. The quarterback room is going to be okay. Graham Mertz and, you know, DJ Lagway, uh, those of your top two quarterbacks. I think Florida's even signed a third guy from out west um, that's coming in as well. I think the quarterback room will be pretty good, but the offensive line is going to have to be there and be strong. The defense is going to have to really improve at Florida to be able to go seven and five or better. So that's a look at the Florida Gators, kind of our look at SEC football. Tennessee, I know they want to rebound and become a contender in the East. LSU is going to be tough, but probably the top three teams in, in this conference are Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. And that includes Alabama, uh, that includes Oklahoma and Texas. Where will Oklahoma and Texas finish up? I would suspect Oklahoma and Texas will both be in the top five in the SEC. Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma, Texas, and Tennessee and Florida trying to get in there. Texas A&M tries to climb back in among the contenders. Kentucky probably going to be in the middle. Kentucky usually, um, in most years, solid. As I've been as I've been saying, Vanderbilt probably will still be at the bottom of now the 16-team conference. I don't expect a whole lot out of Mississippi State. I think they'll be competitive, and they're still kind of a tough team when you play them at Starkville. Um, and maybe I left Ole Miss out of the contenders. You got Ole Miss, too, with Lane Kiffin. They've been, you know, in the top of the SEC, too. So what do you, what do you got here? You've got – and then you put Ole Miss into the mix. You got Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Tennessee. Tennessee trying to climb back into the contenders, contenders part of the conference. Oklahoma and Texas coming in. Florida struggling, going to try to go from five and seven to maybe seven and five. Wow. The SEC is going to be tough in 2024. Texas and Oklahoma coming in and all those contenders, and not everybody's going to win. Not everybody's going to win, and, and you know that, right? Wow, we'll take a look at uh, North Florida Entertainment and the results of the Super Bowl between San Francisco and Kansas City coming up next here on the Teal Shirt Report Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hey, you're tuned in. To the Teal Shirt Report podcast is now Monday morning. Man, we were pretty close to almost dead right on the score of the Super Bowl. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. I do want to remind you that uh, the Florida Gators had a big win on Saturday. Wanted to just make sure we kind of double check the score a bit. Florida beat Auburn. 
And, uh, man, it was a huge win. I mean, super huge win uh, for the Florida Gators basketball team. Men's College Basketball, Florida 81, Auburn 65. The final great Gator win in college basketball and men's college basketball. This game was very huge. Auburn was trying to win already their 20th victory of the year. Florida wins the game 81-65. They really got off to a good start in this one and never really turned back and, you know, finally won the game by by a huge 16-point margin. So Florida now playing pretty good. Overtime wins over Georgia, Kentucky, a one-point loss to Texas A&M, and now they have beaten Auburn, Florida 81, the Auburn Tigers 65. It's a big win for the Gators. Florida Gators college basketball team improves to 16-7 and overall, and Auburn falls to 19-5 and with a big game with South Carolina coming up this week. So Auburn's got a really crucial game coming up, and I don't think they were counting on losing to Florida, but the, the Gators have really owned Auburn in Gainesville for many years now. Florida always plays well against Auburn in college basketball in Gainesville. Um, I didn't talk much about all the teams when we talked SEC college football. I, I didn't really mention Auburn or even Arkansas, but, you know, those are other teams that are going to be right there. They're actually going to be right there when it, obviously when it comes to, um, you know, when it, when it comes to college football in the SEC, I talked about a bunch of teams. I don't think we mentioned Arkansas, Auburn. Um, you know, Auburn's got Hugh Freeze. They move into their second year with Hugh Freeze, and Auburn should be improved in SEC college football. So when you go back and you look at the the contenders, you got to look at, you know, obviously Alabama, Georgia, you know, and the, probably the top two teams. Um you got LSU, got Ole Miss, Auburn maybe on the climb too. Arkansas is a team that's in transition. So they may be one of your bottom feeders for the moment, along with Vanderbilt, obviously, and a and a few others. But we love talking SEC college football, Texas and Oklahoma coming in, of course, as you know. Um well, the NFL Super Bowl game. We're going to talk we're going to talk about that game. Kansas City won the game in overtime 25-22. They got behind in the game 10 to nothing, battled back. It was what 10 to 3 at halftime. Kansas City kicked a field goal right before the first half ended. Then Kansas City added another field goal in the third quarter and you had a pretty good game going low scoring game. San Francisco at that point had a 10 to 6 lead. The two teams battled back and forth. I'm going to pull up some stats. We'll take a look at some some game stats briefly for the Super Bowl. I know Jaguars fans, including myself, don't want to really talk a lot or long about the Super Bowl, but it was a good game. When you have a game, a Super Bowl going to overtime, you know you've you've had a good game. We picked, we made a prediction in episode six, seven, and in this episode, we did some of the, um, you know, some of the segments were done on, uh, Sunday, February the 11th, before the Super Bowl kicked off. And now we're on Monday morning talking about it. Partly cloudy skies to mostly cloudy in Jacksonville. 
but a 30% chance of rain. High temperatures getting near 80. Looks like it's going to turn back a little cooler tonight. Lows around 51. And we've got warmer afternoon temperatures getting up to near 80, at least for the moment. After the rain gets out of here, we're going to have some wind too. South-southwest winds at 5 to as much as 20 miles per hour. And we might even see wind gusts up to 25 to near 30 miles per hour at times uh, throughout North Florida. So that's some of the latest weather information. Again, the highs today near 80, lows tonight around 51. We're looking at about a 30% chance of rain uh, primarily late in the day. We'll check the Super Bowl stats coming up in North Florida Entertainment in just a moment. It is now, as we've done this particular episode over a two-day period, it is now Monday morning, February the 12th. We'll talk Super Bowl in North Florida Entertainment coming right up. Hey, so as we've been talking about SEC football, you know, Auburn's got Hugh Freeze, their head coach, as we talk a little bit more SEC football. Hugh Freeze is now their, their head football coach, now moving into his absolutely his second year, and I expect Auburn to be even more competitive, be, to be stronger. However, when you got Alabama, Georgia, you know, still above you and most every other team in the league, LSU is tough with Brian Kelly, Coach Brian Kelly moving into his third year. I looked up Sam Pittman. Man, there were so many rumors about Sam Pittman getting fired, like after the Florida game or after the season, even though Sam Pittman's Arkansas Razorbacks came into Gainesville and beat Florida, I believe it was 39-36. He's still the coach. He's hanging on. He's hanging on at Arkansas. I believe this would be like his fourth year as a head coach at Arkansas. So Arkansas is hanging on to Sam Pittman. I think the guy's a good coach. But, heck, it's a numbers game, right? You know, you, you get a few guys in on NIL deals. You lose a few. I think Arkansas lost a few. Injuries set in. College football is really topsy-turvy and unpredictable. Between the injuries, the NIL deals, um, the transfer portal, conference realigning. And now when you talk about 16 teams in the SEC, it's unreal. It is absolutely unreal. Wow. You know, we talk about the top teams, and then there's another team we you know, haven't talked about. Auburn is a team I think is on the rise. How much, we don't really know yet. But Hugh Freeze getting his program entrenched at Auburn. This will be his second year, as you know, at Auburn. Uh, Sam Pittman. Still going to remain the Arkansas coach, at least for the 2024 season. If Arkansas has another down year, he probably will be out. Sam Pittman would probably be out after 2024, I would think. But let's see if Arkansas can turn a corner. But, man, it is going to be absolutely tough. I really wish the SEC had gone to an East, stayed with the East and West divisions. I think it would have been tremendous because then you'd have Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, um, Texas A&M, all out west. The, you know, the east and west would still intermingle and play each other. But now they're just going to that all, it appears to be just an all 16-team league from top to bottom, one through 16. 
I haven't heard all the rules about how the conference, we're going to check into more of it, but I'm assuming the SEC title game will still be played. I'm assuming it'll be the top two seeds if you just have one large and long 16-team conference. The jury is still out on all this, of course. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. They won 25-22. Again, as we mentioned earlier, San Fran got off to a 10-0 lead. The Chiefs, some people call them the chefs, right? The Chiefs did kick a field goal right before halftime, which I think was crucial to get a little bit of momentum turning their way. Although I think the Chiefs really don't lack in confidence. I think they really felt they could come back all along. San Francisco's been a team that came back and had two come-from-behind wins in the playoffs over Detroit and Green Bay, or I should say Green Bay and then Detroit. As San Francisco won the NFC uh, championship, they won the NFC title. Kansas City won the AFC title. The game continued on. Uh, the Chiefs kept coming back. It was a back-and-forth kind of game, and it ended 19-19 in regulation. San Francisco actually scored first in the overtime with a field goal and led it 22-19. But remember the new rules the last couple of years that had been put together maybe for, what, something like three years or more, where each team during overtime gets to possess the ball at least one time. So San Francisco's kicked a field goal on their possession. The Chiefs came down the field and scored with a touchdown pass. So. It was a, it was a good it was a good football game. Um, Patrick Mahomes, you know, had a had a pretty good game. Uh, so did Brock Purdy. Uh, the Chiefs' defense is tough. The defensive backs are tough. Andy Reid made the adjustments at halftime. Travis Kelsey kind of had a down first half, but man, he ended up still ended up with nine receptions for ninety three yards uh, in the game. Uh, Christian McCaffrey got a touchdown for the 49ers. Christian McCaffrey, 22 carries. Uh, what was that for? 80 yards, 22 carries, 80 yards. Maybe he should have got the rock even more. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, I'm kind of squinting at these stats. Patrick Mahomes, 34 out of 46, 333 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Brock Purdy, the 49ers quarterback was uh, 22 out of 38 for 255 yards and one touchdown pass in the game. And to wrap things up, I'm just going to say, man, Kansas City, they deserved it. They won the game. Patrick Mahomes, you know, and my goodness, just um, what can you say? They came from behind and won. They won all the games they had to win. They made the playoffs. You make it to now what they call the tournament. When I was a kid coming up, it was the NFL playoffs. It's still the NFL playoffs, but they kind of refer to it as a tournament now because there's more teams that actually get in now than did back in the day. But that's okay. Kansas City Chiefs 25, San Francisco 49ers 22 in absolute overtime. So, you know, my predictions in the playoffs – we're very, I tell you, we had a rough time picking games. I mean, I think the best week we had was the first week when we went three and three, when there were a lot of playoff games that, that first round, I think we were three and three. And then I don't think we got another one right in the next two weeks. And 
there were some crazy games in the playoffs. Finally, the Super Bowl comes around and we get one right. We picked KC to win 24 to 20. As you know, we had our prediction in episode six, seven, and earlier in eight on when we were doing when we were doing the um, you know basically doing the um, uh, Sunday um, parts of the episode. Um, some of this podcast was done on Sunday before the game started. Some is now being done on Monday morning after the game ended. So we had some segments before the Super Bowl. So we did put our prediction in on this episode before the Super Bowl kicked off. But we had also predicted the, the same score with Kansas City. We predicted Kansas City to beat San Francisco 24-20. to The game ended up close to what we predicted. Kansas City wins it in overtime, though. Kansas City, 25. The San Francisco 49ers, 22. The Kansas City Chiefs are your Super Bowl champions. And with the ending of the Super Bowl, now the the offseason is completely here. Free agent frenzy in March. The draft in late April of 2024. The Jaguars and general manager Trent Baalke. And even Doug Peterson, the head coach, they've got decisions to make. And obviously, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll take a look at um, some North Florida entertainment. Again, we told you about the Iceman earlier. The Iceman have been tremendously hot, uh, you know, winning like, what, six out of seven. Wow. The Iceman in second place in the Southern Division of the East Coast Hockey League. Let's uh, take a look at some some concerts real quick on the Teal Shirt Report podcast. Some shows coming up as we get set to wrap up this particular episode. Episode show number eight of the Teal Shirt Report podcast. John Gaylor told me that Rex Grossman used to wear number eight. Florida Gator quarterback, played for the Chicago Bears. I think that was the only number eight that uh, that John Gaylor could think of. I gave you Don Gaffney from way back in the day. Played college football at Florida, you know, back around, what, the mid-1970s, mid-late-1970s. I believe it was the mid-1970s for Don. We'll have to look that up. Then he played in the AFA for the old Jacksonville Firebirds and won the AFA league title in professional football in the early 1980s. That was long before the Jacksonville Jaguars. That was even before the Jacksonville Bulls uh, played in the USFL. So we'll take a look. Let's take a look at some concerts. Got some shows coming up. I know right off the bat, Gladys Knight is here this week. Gladys Knight performing on February 13th of 2024 at 8 o'clock p.m. at the Florida Theater here in Jacksonville, Florida. Also, ZZ Top. Check them out. Whether you like, what, the Eliminator album, the DeGuelo album. They put out a lot of albums over the years. Uh, they did a song called Cheap Sunglasses, did Legs. Uh, many, many other great tunes. I'm nationwide. ZZ Top performing on March the 5th, 2024 at 8 o'clock p.m. at the Florida Theater here in Jacksonville, Florida. The Starship featuring Mickey Davis, 7.30 p.m. on March 9th of 2024 at the Thrasher Horn Center in Orange Park, Florida. The group Widespread Panic will be performing in St. Augustine, Florida for three nights and three shows. 
March 22nd, March 23rd, March 24th of 2024. First two nights on March 22nd, March 23rd will be at 7 o'clock p.m. on the first two nights. And then 6.30 p.m. will be the start time for widespread panic on Sunday night, March 24th, on the final night in St. Augustine, Florida, at the St. Augustine Amphitheater for widespread panic. Three nights. That, that's impressive. March 22nd, March 23rd, and March 24th at, of 2024 um, at the St. Augustine Amphitheater in St. Augustine, Florida, for widespread panic. Al Stewart, who you hear on Mad Max's show from time to time, just another song on the radio. And, he, you know, he did Time Passages. The Year of the Cat was probably his, I'm thinking, Year of the Cat was probably his biggest song, but Time Passages was pretty big, too. Just another song on the radio when I was, during my radio days, was probably more of a more of an album track. Al Stewart's back in Northeast Florida. From the Year of the Cat fame, Al Stewart performing at the Ponte Vedra Concert Hall. On Saturday night, March the 30th of 2024 at 8 o'clock p.m. in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. Sal Stewart will be in Ponte Vedra at the Ponte Vedra Concert Hall on Saturday night, March 30th of 2024 at 8 o'clock p.m. in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. Here's a good one. Hootie and the Blowfish. This is several weeks or a few months down the road. Hootie and the Blowfish on Friday evening. September the 27th of 2024 at 7 o'clock p.m. This one will be at the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena. Again, that's Hootie and the Blowfish on Friday evening, September the 27th of 2024 at 7 o'clock p.m. at the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena here in Jacksonville, Florida. And that is absolutely... I should say that's absolutely going to do it for episode show number eight. Episode show number eight of season number five of the Teal Shirt Report podcast. We do want to thank, we absolutely want to thank our sponsors, the madmaxmix.weebly.com, lakeyoufallahits.com, great internet radio where it's all good, Saucer Realty and Capital for your real estate needs in North Florida. And we've been eloquently eloquently produced by our executive producer, JC, also by Alex Nunnery, and want to thank our contributor and uh, correspondent and supporter of the podcast, John Gaylor. Thank you guys for everything. Thank you for listening out there, and thank you for supporting our podcast. Hit the support button, uh, help us out, and thank you for listening to the Teal Shirt Report podcast. Have a great day. I'm your host, Scott, and hey, I'm out. Until next time, have a, have a wonderful day. Hey, back at you with an encore episode, show number eight. Let's give you a little bit of an encore. It's, you know, it's already Tuesday morning, February the 13th. Make sure you check out the madmaxmix.weebly.com on Wednesday night, six o'clock till 8 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock Eastern Time with Mad Max. On the madmaxmix.weebly.com, you'll find the links on our website in the Neighbors 2 section and also in the outside in the outside the box section of our website, too, at bigjreport.com. Also, this in each Thursday night, you got JC Show. That's right. We're talking about 
have you heard JC's live show from his pub? Right from his pub on Thursday nights, 6 o'clock Central Time, 7 o'clock Eastern Time on Thursday nights. That's uh, JC's uh, new show on Thursday nights live at LakeUfallahits.com. Great internet radio where it's all good. Well, we're doing an encore for you know for a couple of reasons. Yes, I woke up again this morning. The Lord let me see another day on this uh, Tuesday morning, February the 13th. The weather's changing. A few clouds this morning, but sky's now clearing. And it's going to get cold again. I did. I did want to update the weather before I did slide out of here uh, with this encore SEC football. I've been still thinking about all that, man. It's hard to cover sixteen teams in one league with Texas and Oklahoma coming in. Kansas City wins the Super Bowl. I woke up this morning, and yes, they they had still won the title. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs 25, San Francisco 49ers 22. We'll check the uh, weather report. Got some good stuff at BigJReport.com Facebook group as well. And I also want to mention Fred Taylor should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, The kick returner from Chicago is getting in. Hester. He's getting in. Now, he had a lot of you know, touchdowns returned on kickoffs. I mean, I think he holds a record all time, I believe. So I think, I think, I think his name, what his full name is Devin Hester, right? I think Devin, uh, let me make sure I got the name right. Cause I know Freddie T, but, um, you know, Hester, you know, Hester should be in. He, he should, you know, he should be in. Devin Hester is going to join the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a kickoff returner, um, which uh, you know, which I don't, you know, think is a bad, bad thing at all. Um, uh, Devin Hester, um, kickoff returner with the Chicago Bears for years and years, and um. Played wide receiver some as well. And, you know, you take a look at, you know, Devin's career. He played with the Chicago Bears from 2006 to 2013. Uh, Atlanta Falcons, 2014 to 2015. Kind of finishing up with Baltimore, the Ravens, in 2016 and the Seattle Seahawks in 2016. So his, his career, basically his NFL career, uh, spanned about 11 years as a kickoff returner, played some uh, wide receiver and mainly a return specialist. Um, he is 41 years of age, and he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, Devin Hester. So he's getting in. He, I mean, he got a, a he got a lot of touchdowns on kickoff returns. Um. Had an 11-season NFL career. He is also now. He, now here's the thing. Maybe this kind of pushed him over the top and getting in. He is also the only player to return the opening kick of a Super Bowl for a touchdown. Uh, Hester was also selected to the NFL All-Decade Team for both the 2000s 
and 2010s. So that's interesting. Um, he didn't play the entire decade of 2010, but it looks like he wrapped his career up with the Ravens in 2016 and the Seattle Seahawks in um, 2016 as well. Um, you know, as you know, the guy was a good kickoff returner, scored a lot of touchdowns. I uh, will take a look at he had. Uh, you know, he returned punts too, kickoffs, um, had receiving touchdowns too as a wide receiver. It looks like 16 touchdowns. Man, the guy was an exciting player. Kickoff returner, punt returner primarily, played wide receiver some. Devin Hester getting into the Hall of Fame. But I think Fred Taylor, as basically, a, for the most part, an everyday running back, should have got in before Devin Hester. That is my opinion. That is my humble opinion. But I'm I'm telling you, Devin Hester should get in the Hall of Fame, you know, sometime down the road, but not ahead of Freddie T. Maybe they both should have gone in at the same time. So you have then you have to look at the other names that got in. But Tony Baselli got in in the class of 2022, and you know Tony Baselli. Should have got in probably two years before that, and maybe that would have accelerated perhaps since uh, Tony's a Jag- Jaguars player. Would have got Fred Taylor predominantly over 90% of his career with the Jacksonville Jaguars, although he finished up playing a year or so with the, the New England Patriots in the final part of his career. Probably on the next podcast, um, we spent a lot of time on this today, obviously, and in, in the last, we, we've done this podcast like over the last three days. and. I guess we started doing this podcast, what, about Sunday morning, and we're finishing it up Tuesday morning. And when I have time, I think we're going to continue to talk about some of this argument because it's a big argument because there's going to be a lot of pro Fred Taylor folks just like me. And then there's going to be people that are going to tell you, they're going to stand up and tell you and point a finger at you, Fred Taylor should not be in the Hall of Fame. There's a lot of those people too. So there's a big argument when you talk about, you know, when you talk about this pro football Hall of Fame thing. Um, Devin Hester is a guy that is incredible because he he did get a lot of touchdowns in his career. I mean, he obviously did. Um, you know, he now his wide receiving stats. Uh, 255 receptions, 3,311 yards. It's kind of minuscule. Did get 16 touchdowns um, in his career. And I'm taking a look at the touchdowns. And, you know, you take a look at the returns in his career. Man, this is another guy. I mean, punt returns. Is this true? Punt returns, 14 punt returns for touchdowns throughout his career. He had five kickoff returns for touchdowns. So we had 14. It looks like, based on some stats I'm pulling up, Devin Hester had 14 touchdowns on punt returns. He had another five touchdowns on kickoff returns. And I'm going to review these stats again. Most of the time when we pull stuff up, it's you know correct information or at least close to being correct. But he's deserving. 
I mean, Ray Guy, a punter, and he was a great punter, and he was drafted in the first round by the Raiders. And Al Davis, what, way back in the 70s. Ray Guy was playing when I started watching football. So Ray Guy, he, Ray Guy, you know, he uh, was originally from Alabama. So I know our executive producer, JC, knows about Ray Guy. But he made the Hall of Fame as a punter. Now Devin Hester has basically made it into the Hall of Fame as a kickoff returner and a punt returner. Red Taylor, meanwhile, is not in the Hall of Fame. And I think at this juncture, that's a travesty. He was a finalist to get into the Hall of Fame in 2024. I'm assuming Fred will have a shot at being perhaps another finalist in 2025 with a shot of getting in in 2025 or 2026. That's kind of how it's looking to me now. It's sad. And then it kind of slows down maybe Jimmy Smith getting in the Hall of Fame in later years. Tom Coughlin should get in too. With Fred or right after Fred, Tom Coughlin won Super Bowls for the for the New York Giants as a head coach, as an assistant uh, coach, and he took the Jaguars, including his executive vice president days, all three AFC championship games the Jaguars have been to. Tom Coughlin was associated with the team in all three. Florida Gators won that basketball game over Auburn. That was big, too. Florida, 81. Florida, 81. Auburn, 65. Florida had won three out of four games. Lost to Texas A&M by one point. Then I saw a stat. They've actually won five out of their last six. And the Florida Gators, you know, they got a big game with LSU coming up this week, I'm hearing. So that's going to be a big uh, conference game. And you know, Florida's got to start stacking up the wins. They get to 20, they're going to be in the dance. They're the Florida Gator basketball team at 16 and 7 now. We'll wrap up the podcast with this encore. Uh, we'll give you the latest weather information uh, for North Florida. Let's see, weather capsule for February 13th of 2024. It's Tuesday, February the 13th of 2024. We did start out with a few clouds very early this morning, but now clearing skies, breezy at times, and colder. The colder temperatures coming back in today in North Florida. High today, only 65. Low tonight, a very chilly 41. Winds uh, still quite breezy and brisk at times. Winds northwest at 7 to 16 miles per hour, and also wind gusts. Uh, today in North Florida, up to as much as 20 to 25 miles per hour at time. So that's a look at the latest North Florida weather. You can check weather anytime, 24-7, on our website at bigjreport.com. Don't forget about the Mad Max Mix.weebly.com, lakeyafallahits.com, great internet radio where it's all good, and Saucerility and Capital. These are our sponsors of the Teal shirt report podcast we appreciate you uh tuning into the podcast this has been an encore episode show number eight of season number five want to say hello to mad max jc want to thank our executive producer jc who's also an alabama crimson tide insider mad max is a georgia bulldog football insider and i'm going to give you the inside stuff about the florida gators alex nunry kind of covers the Florida Gators for us as well. So special thanks to our executive producer, JC, our other producer, Alex Nunnery, 
and our correspondent, our correspondent and supporter of the podcast, contributor, correspondent, and supporter of our podcast, John Gaylor. Thank you so very, very much. Episode show number eight of the Teal Shirt Report podcast in season number five. Episode show number eight is now completely and officially in the books. I'm Scott, your host. Hey, support our podcast. We'd be grateful, and we do appreciate you listening in to as many as, well, we're listened to in, we're listen we're listened to listeners in as many as 39 states across the United States is what I'm trying to say. Internationally, we're all over the world. Uh, UK, London, Northern Ireland, France, Germany, Canada, uh, Puerto Rico, the Philippines, uh, Australia, Bangladesh, of all places. Thank you for listening to the Teal Shirt Report podcast. I'm your host, Scott, and hey, I'm out. <laughs>